motto within my company is clean, easy, simple. Um, I used to always say, uh, you know, I really want to clean this up. I want to clean this up. Let's make this easier for the customer. Let's make it easy. And nope, it's too difficult. Let's make it simple or, you know, more simpler or whatever the case is. So one of my staff one day and came in and she's like, Dan, why don't we say your motto is clean, easy, simple. And I'm like, that's genius. Welcome to the Art of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dana Bozinski, and I'm excited to be interviewing personalities from all different backgrounds on how they've learned and earned success. Our goal is that the stories would equip you to achieve success both personally and professionally. Please note that there may be explicit words or conversational topics in this podcast. So if you're underage or listening with a child, please be aware of this. Lastly, please note that all the views, beliefs, and opinions are not always a reflection of the hosts. Okay, let's jump in. Dan Mysick, welcome to the Art of Success podcast. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, having a great conversation today and, and jumping right in. Well, we got some great topics for the show, the art of making the sale, uh, how to choose the right name for your company and industry, and how to grassroots build a company to scale. And so you've, you've got some really fun stories. Why don't we at least start off with hearing a little bit about your history, your upbringing, family life, uh, and how you got to where you're at today. Catch, catch us up here. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, you threw a couple at me right there, so I guess I'll start all the way back to uh, the, the little little guy, Dan. I uh, grew <laughs> up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, town is Mount Prospect. My parents came over when they were, when I was a little one, so they came from Serbia. I'm 100% Serbian. Um, I was born in Des Plaines and have been in the Chicagoland area uh, my whole life. I absolutely love it around here. So that was my upbringing. Um, I went to the elementary school, junior high, high school, all in Mount Prospect. Then I went over to a community college, Harper College, and that's where I'll get you guys caught up to speed with the business. So the funny part of what took place was there was a student-run business that was actually given to the community college that I went to, which was called Harper College. The, uh, the name of the company was Formulator, and the people that owned the company wanted students to learn how companies were actually run. Um, and what, yeah, one of um, one of my professors, you know, in, the, in my math class, knew that I was a talker. Um, I was always very engaged in the class and I liked doing, you know, different stuff that whatever the community college could provide. And he approached me one day and he's like, ah, Dan, you know, we have this opportunity we have. You don't really get anything out of it, meaning like any type of credit or, um, you know, anything from the school credit hours or anything from that standpoint. But the, the biggest piece of um, information or the biggest thing that helped me out was saying yes and I went in uh, the first day not knowing what the heck it is that I was going to get into but it was a student-run business that was given to the school and they wanted the students to learn how the businesses were run and I did the sales aspect of it and I did that for about six months and I did more sales than the company did for however many years that it was there before <laughs> so being a young um you know, young go-getter, 20-year-old kid thinking that I can take on the world. I'm just like, okay, well, this is actually not too bad. I, uh, you buy a case of gloves. It was actually medical supplies that we did. 
And I'm like, you buy a case of gloves for X, which let's say the example was $50, and I sold them for $80. So I made a nice spread on that first case of gloves, and I learned that from that company that was given. Um, there was also- Super cool, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I what wish- What an affirmation of the business skills while you're in school, right? You know, the school teaches you a different set. It's, it's to go in, to memorize, to understand- whatever test that you have that's coming up you cram for that information you try to memorize and you know do the best that you can from that standpoint and after uh, however good you study on the test or however good of a memory you have um you know you take your test and after that, you typically forget a lot of the information after in life from this standpoint. So this was probably the most real life experience you can take in business. And I don't know how you could scale something like this, but I think this would be a great idea for schools all across the country as like incubators or actual living, breathing companies that I think could give students the most real life understanding on how businesses were run. So, or are run currently. Um, so right after that, when I was 20 years old, once um, the semester ended, I went out and I sat down. This is your second part of the question. How do you, how do you name a company? Um, and I still remember to this day, I started my company in 2007. It's 2018 now, so a little over 10 years, 10 and a half years, um, well, 11 years technically, but when I started, um, it would be 10 and a half. Anyways, when I went back to it, I remember to this day on how I named the company. And I remember reading one of the articles online and it said, if you say the name of a company, if somebody says it back to you or somebody says it out loud, how are they going to know what it is that you do? Right. So I always wanted to start in medical um, after the fact because it was medical that was there. And then the second piece was shipment. So it's pretty funny. When I ask somebody, Daniel, you know, that comes up to me and says, hey, you know, looks at the shirt and says, what is it that you guys do? And I say back to him, if you have to to take a wild guess on what it is that we do, what do you think it is? And, uh, I, Medi- I typically medical get a- shipment, that's the company name, right? It's like, yeah. I don't think it gets more straightforward than that, to be honest. Hey, exactly. So I don't know how much more clear cut you could be from that standpoint. So, um, exactly what we do, we ship medical supplies. I mean, you know, to try to keep it as dummy proof as possible. Um, that's what I named the company. And then I looked up, uh, online to see if medical shipment was available. I mean, there was hundreds of other names that I wrote down and actually the final running was that in a company. I don't even know why I had Caltration and (laughs) I'm I'm really glad. I'm really glad you didn't go with that one. (laughs) I do think that there's something profound and simple about when you do name your company, kind of even part of the mission. Right. Um, but take me back a little bit, like take me back one more time. So you do all these sales, you make more sales with this company that is kind of this incubator in your community college. And then what happens? Do they give you that company? Do you hand that off to somebody else and then start this company? Is that kind of what happened? Uh, no, no, no. Great question. So, you know, after I went from that semester, I started my company on my own after. Um, I just knew all the information from the name of the company that when I was in the school it was called Formulator. And 
they wanted to keep it going after that standpoint. But actually, it's pretty sad. After we left, there was a couple other of us. There was um, an accounting team. There was a management team. There was a marketing team. And there were students that did all different types of stuff for every single department within the school. And I was sort of the sales team, but it was just me. Um, and the pretty much the majority of the students that were inside from that organization at that standpoint, from that company, um, they went on to other four-year institutions or, you know, to finish off the remaining two years to get their bachelor's degree because this was just a two-year community college. And the majority of us all left from that standpoint. And then once we left, the company actually went under, um, which is sort of sad because I think – I think it's so beneficial for students to see as real life experience as you can possibly get is rolling up your sleeves, diving right in and learning how businesses run. You know, you, know, you right. can have, stu- you can teach students out of a, you know, out of a book on what practical experiences and, you know, so on and so forth from that standpoint. But when you're really calling a customer and a customer is, not happy with you or happy with you when they're asking certain type of questions that they need these certain type of products, that's as realistic as you're going to get because this is a living, breathing, you know, organization and company that's from that standpoint. So, well, you um, know what would be really cool too is if the incubator did something like, you know, helping students study what industries have the largest market growth cap. And like, for example, like the medical shipment supply industry, if, if you'd even call that an industry, like, do you know what the overall global or even national market cap is for your industry and business? Um, so the rough numbers we have, it's a really, really niche market that I'm in as well. Um, we sell to nursing schools all across the country is our main, main business, but anything educational for, um, medical in the medical arena. So, it could be a phlebotomy program. It could be a, a CNA program. It could be a surgery tech program. Um, all different avenues within the community college or university we can sell to. But the niche that I started with was nursing, and I've just ex- you know grown and expanded within that market. The market is anywhere from three thousand to five thousand nursing schools across the country and the uh, the market potential we would say is anywhere from a hundred thousand dollars up to you know it could be multi-millions if they're building out a new lab so the market potential on there could be you know the low end three hundred million dollars to you know hundreds of millions up to you know a billion dollars i'm saying full potential if you were to able to outfit every single thing within their labs right so and not just um, nursing schools. You could go K-12. You're saying you could expand it out and stretch the market a little bit. That's interesting. I like it. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we're actually looking to do right now is go into the K-12 through market. Uh, K through 12 market. We're looking to go into the junior highs. We're looking to go into um, the high schools that are out there. It's it's lower dollar amounts, meaning the reason why is because it's, it's your Band-Aids. Um, it's your gauzes. First aid that, kits, whatever it may be, yeah. 
Exactly. So it's not the highest uh, spend like you would see in a hospital setting that you would see into the educational setting for nurses because they try to make the educational experience as realistic as possible. But the cool thing that we're seeing that there's a bigger moving trend is high schools across the country now are starting to partner up with their community colleges and universities. So they're bringing in actual simulation centers or simulation rooms into their high school setting as well. So they're outfitting one of their rooms to make it into a nursing lab, just like you would see in a hospital. You're shipping anything from, you know, the rubber gloves to some of the equipment that may be more higher priced items kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to break it out in sort of five different buckets, um, the first bucket is supplies. So anything that's disposable, anything that's high turnover, um, it could be gloves, gauze, syringes, IV solutions, um, again, high turnover from that standpoint. So if you think about going into a hospital setting, what are those disposable items that they use? That's what we sell into the nursing um, arena. Second is equipment. So everything that would go onto the walls or onto the floors, or, you know, around the floors, I'm saying, like the beds, IV pumps, the ventilators, the monitors, everything that you would see in the actual hospital setting, we just outfit into the nursing, um, you know, rooms to make it as, to make it simulated as realistically as possible. Um, the third thing is we have an exclusive contract with a company called CareFusion, which actually just got bought out by BD back in Dickinson. And it's... If people don't know about it, it's called a Pixis, but really what it does, it's sort of like a smart vending machine for medication. So let's say you go in the hospital, Dan, and uh, you know you break your, your knee. The doctor is going to come in. They're going to assess you. They're going to see your pain tolerance from that standpoint. They're going to put in your date, age, weight, height, all your information into this Pixis medication. That's going to open up a drawer. Let's say it's really, really bad and um, you needed... Uh, morphine from this standpoint. I mean, this is super extreme, but um, it would open up the exact drawer for where morphine is. It would open up to the correct dosage. The nurse or the doctor would take that uh, morphine back to the bedside and then administer that medication. So it cuts down on user error. It streamlines the operation. That's Um, killer. Yeah, it cuts down on patient safety, um, on errors from that standpoint. So we have the exclusive right to sell that piece of medication uh, equipment, that smart vending machine, into all the nursing schools across the country. The fourth bucket is customized nursing kits. So the analogy I would like to say is, let's say you're going back to school and you want to be a, um, uh, you're going to haircut school. What do you think you would need in your um, in your bag of goodies to become a good haircut connoisseur? Well, you'd need a whole lot. Right. I mean, it's a very, well, I, I guess actually you really only need a core items. You need five core items, right? You need scissors, you need buzzers, you need uh, a brush, you need a hair dryer, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if, if you perfect all those things and you're, you're good with your scissors and your comb and your brush, well, to, to flip this on the nursing schools, it takes it even a step further. So the customization that we do, every single nursing school across the country will send us over a list. They'll send us anywhere from 20 to 50. I mean, we have a school right now that has 76 line items of product that go into oh their gosh. customized kits. Yeah. They'll have 100 plus students that Did come in. Did you create in. that, the idea of the kit? Um, other companies out there have created that. It's pretty so, genius though, right? It's super cool. 
Yeah, it's, but the thing is, it's very, very, very labor intensive. Um, you know, if you have 76 line items, that's 76 different potential manufacturers that you have to purchase from, you have to bring into the warehouse, then you have to count all the different packages. So if there's 100 students, it doesn't mean that every single item that you buy to those 76 come in a package of 100. I wish that was the case. Some come in a package of 12, some come in a package of 8, some come in a package of 25, some in 24. So you have to have the correct stock levels. How do you feel? Sale. How do you feel Elon Musk feels? His car is ten thousand different unique parts. Can you imagine <laughs> his assembly line, and if one thing goes wrong, right? For you, if you have one manufacturer not send you the item in time, it's like it bottlenecks your whole putting those kits together. Sure. It. I mean, that just shows you of how pure of a genius that guy truly is. I mean, <laughs> right. you have ten thousand variables that you have to be relying upon for that car to to you know go out into the world and produce and stop go break turn left turn right and everything that needs to work from that standpoint and if one piece doesn't work inside it could be a uh, a big big bottleneck a complete so. bottleneck and then what's the fifth thing um and then the fifth thing is we like to say a miscellaneous category so if, if, if there's something in the first four boxes or buckets that the nursing um, faculty or lab coordinator, whoever the person that's in charge of purchasing cannot purchase from, we let them know that we open up that, the door to them to send over a quote, a picture of any type of item they see in the hospital setting. We go through over hundreds of different vendors all the way, you know, all over the world, all over the country, and we can set up with them because we're a distributor. So we can pretty much get our hands on anything that that nursing school is looking for or that customer is looking for. So we like to say we're a one-stop shop for educational institutions all across the country. So really quick, everyone listening, I want you just to super focus for one second. You want to create a successful business, you got to do exactly what Dan just did. Now, I don't even know, Dan, if you know what you did, but I think I, I think you did. I think you know what you did. Is It's like, so first, it's creating the name of your company, right? And making it super simple. Simplify it for all your customers. If it's not simple, um, if it's even simple to you, sometimes it doesn't mean it's simple to other people. The second thing is, I love that you talked about a niche market. Anything that I've learned in business is the bigger net, the, the bigger the net, the harder it is to catch the fish. But the smaller sure. the net, the more you can capture a greater amount of customers and revenue in your business. And so you've done an incredible job, Dan, even understanding how much market cap potential there is in there, maybe how many customers there were, three to 5,000 nursing schools. I mean, the, you can just, the, the, this is everything that I've learned. You just got to keep nailing it down. And the, the, the third part, which is pretty huge is knowing what your product services are and actually having a really good product service offering that's simple. You have your buckets and then everything from there, obviously it starts with sales, right? Without sales, nothing works. Without sales, you don't need support staff. Without sales, your company's not going to be in business long. And so I sure. love that you've got it all laid out that way. So I want to go back to why you love salespeople. And I also want to go back to like, you kind of said something we didn't really focus on it, but you talked about going back in college and you sold more than this thing had sold in years and years and years. How did you do that? Cause that's yeah. the, that's the million dollar question, right? That's what lands you on the ink 5,000 list three years in a row, which is not easy. If anyone knows what you talked to me and you told me the process, I mean, that is an amazing accomplishment. Well done. Thank you. 
Thank you. Um, but thank you. let's let's talk about that. Like, you know, what were people saying to you when you're doing more sales than in years? Sure, sure. So, um, do you want me to address the why I love this sales question, yeah, or do you both. want me to? And both? did you? Yeah, and did you know you loved it when you were doing it? Or were you just like you were just fire? You just had the fire in you. Yeah, yeah. So I'll lead with the uh, why I love this sales. Um, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I've I've had the paper route. Um, I had when I was I think in junior high, I went to the Kinkos and I wrote down, um, I'll help clean your house up. And I listed out all different types of, or, uh, I'll help with any service around your house needs. Um, and I listed, you know, cutting trees, mowing lawns, any, you know, any job, big or small, whatever the case is from that standpoint, you know, I can do for you. And I think I printed out like 500 flyers and I went door to door and I just put them on the doors and, uh, next thing you know, people would call my house because at that that time we really didn't even have <laughs> cell phones and stuff like that. <laughs> so pretty funny. My parents would be like, "Who are these random people calling?" And I'm just that's like, "Yeah, you know." It's, yeah, that's the first thing I was thinking about. That's why I laughed. I'm like, "It's like you were rushing to the phone, and they're like, why what, what's going on here?'" <laughs> exactly. So I've I've just loved it. I've always had a passion with sales, and I still do to this day. Um, I think of anybody that's listening, whatever it is in life that people are doing is you got to find a passion, whatever that may be, and just run with it. Go and do it to the best of your ability. Um, and I truly love sales. I think it's when you get to a standpoint in a company, like right now I'm, I'm sitting down with my sales reps. Um, going through and I have new sales reps that are starting and I'm still as passionate as I was when I first started the company. I think to be a great salesperson, not even a good salesperson, I'm talking cream of the crop, best salesperson that's out there. It's like a fine art. Um, what you say to the person, how you say it, how they respond back, understanding tones, understanding pitches, understanding body language, taking that all that's in, good. assessing that and making those split decision um, decisions right away on what's taking place while you're having that conversation. Staying ahead of the customer, understanding what they're saying, you know, what they're going to say before they even say it. Um, one of the things that I say to my sales reps is, you know, if when you get to the cream of the crop and you get really, really good at sales, it's sort of like a chess match. When you make a move inside chess, the next person's going to make a move back, but you're trying to already think ahead what that move is going to be if you're really, really good in chess. So, That's um, great. And I love that because it's all about serving people. So it's like if your intent is to get them what they need, then what I've often found is that people don't always know what they need. Sure. Customers don't always know what they need, but that's your job as a good company that actually has a purpose and a service you should know what you need. You should know what you have. You should know what you offer. So yeah, yeah, keep going. I want, I want to hear more on this. Great. Yeah, yeah. So some of the things that I did distinguish myself and get the pen and papers out right now. This is the, uh, the secret <laughs> sauce. Um, what I did to distinguish myself, what is my X factor? When I first started my company, 
I wrote handwritten notes to all my first time customers. So I went back and I got, you know, little thank you cards that I went to Walgreens. Now I have my own, you know, customized card with my logo and, you know, it's a little bit flashier and a little bit nicer, but still at the end of the day, it's the message you're getting across. I don't think many companies these days take the time to write down a handwritten, I'm talking about pen and paper, getting down into that thank you note and saying, hey, Dan, it was a pleasure working with you today, talking with you. I'm really excited to build on this relationship with you. I want to tell you that I'm going to be the best sales rep. I'm here for you 24-7. Anytime you have a question, here's my card, here's my contact information, and I really look forward to working with you years down the line. And you, <laughs> Game changer, right? Yeah, you send that out and you know, people remember that. People remember experiences. People remember things that are different. Every single company reaches out and says, Hey, I'm Dan from Medical Shipping, or I'm hey, I'm Dan from whatever company. They send you over an email, they send you the same cookie cutter stuff, they talk to you on the phone. But not many companies these days take the time and effort to write over a handwritten note. And it really, really goes a long way. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's just something that I started with and I, I preach to this day with my sales reps. And they actually sort of cut corners a little bit. And that's why I brought them back together. And I said, guys, you know, when I first started, this is something that guys and girls, um, that when I first started, this is something that I did, and I want you guys to, get to continue to do this because this is something that people will remember you with. When you reach out to them, they're going to remember that you took the time to say that. Even if they acknowledge and say, hey, you know, thank you for that car. That was really, really nice of you for you to do it. You didn't even have to. That's that's going to distinguish you versus the competition that's out there. So Good. long story short, long-winded answer, I really, really, really pride myself on customer service and going over and above um, for whatever we can do for our customers because at the end of the day, that's who you work for. And this is business. how you this is how you crushed it in the company when you're at your community college. You were just being genuine. You were being authentic. You were doing follow-up. Uh, but you were making the calls, right? Because it's like if you don't make the calls, then – just not going to happen. Sure, exactly. I mean, that's another thing too. I think people get so caught up and nervous about how do you talk? What do you say? You know what? My philosophy has always been jump in and see what happens. You know, you're, you're <laughs> never going to, you're never going to be perfect on whatever it is that you do. So if that's you right. start swimming, you're going to, you're going to figure it out as you go and whatever mistakes you make, as long as you don't make that same mistake twice, then you're learning. Right. You can only calculate and measure so many times. Like at some point you got to cut and you know what, if you cut wrong, um, then you pay the price and you pay the penalty and then you learn. And that's, I, I'm totally, I love that. And I, and I want to, I want to say this too, like when it goes to the grassroots company to scale, like it, I want to know how you did that. But I know that we've talked about a little bit of that, knowing your market and having your sales and your services outlined very uh, efficiently and clean and simple. Um, but ultimately, how do you take it to when you are just the single sales guy to now you have a sales team? Um, how do you build that grassroots to the skill? Because that is a big, that's, that's that's a huge question to answer. And it's probably different for a lot of industries, but for yours specifically. Sure. Um, so when I first started, my first order was for 80 cases of gloves. Um and I sold to the biology department that was inside there. I had a $3,000 line of credit from the company that I still work with today. It was Medline. And 
I wanted to do everything on my own. My parents didn't, you know, they gave me the support from this standpoint, but I wanted to be self-sufficient and self-driven and not ask them for anything, meaning financial support. Um, you know, they were behind me for anything else that I needed, meaning, you know, however else they could help me if, um, emotional support, exactly emotional. I needed an accountant that they thought that I could utilize. Um, they were never in the business arena. My dad was a mechanical engineer and my mom was a chemist. So they really didn't have the, the background for business. And I always, I always felt like I did when I was in high school. I had, uh, I was in the entrepreneurship club. So I always, I always knew that I wanted to go into business. So anyways, back on to how did I do this? Um, I had the $3,000 line of credit from Medline and my cost on it was right around $5,000, um, $1,500, I'm sorry, $4,500 total. I needed to come up with another $1,500. Great. So I went out and asked at the time my best friend, and he loaned me $1,500 when I was 20 years old, but he charged me interest. <laughs> he charged me 7, <laughs> 7%, mind you, on uh, the $1,500. So I, I – I couldn't believe that he did, but I still borrowed the fifteen hundred. I paid him the fifteen hundred and seven percent after, um, and I profited just about two thousand dollars over that. So I paid Medline back the three thousand. I paid my friend back the fifteen hundred plus the seven percent interest, and then I profited, you know, just about two grand of my first order. I was twenty twenty one years old at that time, and I thought I was the richest person in the world. But I knew um, I was a finance major, too, that I was going for. I knew that cash flow was always the most important thing within business. So for the next three, four years, I never spent a penny out of my company. I always just leveraged whatever I had within the bank. I would just leverage and profit, and I would take on the next and the next and the next order, and I would just keep putting it back in, 1000 here, 500 here, 2000 here, so on and so forth. And from that standpoint, I built up a nice cushion. Um, that was probably for the next four or five years. You have to sacrifice if you're going to bootstrap this and you're going to run with it moving forward. I lived with, uh, yeah, it was it was tremendous. It was hard, but um, then I moved. I, I moved down to UIC, um, or I went to UIC. I moved in with one of my. Uh, best friends at the time. We lived in Chicago, downtown Chicago. I'd take the L there. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And I had at that time probably, you know, tens of thousands of dollars saved up. Um, and this was later, not after the first order, but this was, I think, a year later because I was still commuting from that standpoint. So this was probably a year in from the company. And I knew I had the money off on the side. I'm like, I could take this and I can go, you know, buy an apartment and I can buy a, you know, open up a place. But I just always put it off to the side and I said, you know what, I'm not going to touch this because I know how valuable this cash flow is going to mean within the company. So I, I worked downstairs um, at a restaurant with him. I lived in a one bedroom place on a couch and I did that for about six months. And, uh, you know, I just keep kept building and kept building and kept building until I finally graduated college. I started a job over at UIC in the entrepreneurship field. I did that for about a year. Then I said I was going to quit, told my parents. My parents are like, are you crazy? You're making a lot of money. You get, you know, three, four weeks of vacation, best benefits. What, what is wrong with you? Are you sure? 
And I said yes, and I quit. I went at it full time, and uh, sort of the rest is history after that. So what did the, the money do for you for scale? Did it just help you that when the timing came, you had the ability to scale because you had a credit line that allowed you for larger purchases? Correct. So when you're going out, you know, when you're starting a business and you don't have anything, you're going to have to go and either leverage whatever you have in your bank account, you're going to have to max out your credit cards from that standpoint, or you're going to have to take a loan from somebody else that's going to have to believe in whatever your idea is from that get, standpoint. Get charged interest, right? <laughs> exactly. There's the big thing. Um, and until you build on that cash flow inside and you showcase that you're profitable, that you're building you know, your company, that the dollar amounts are going up and up and up, then a bank's actually going to take a look at you. So my line of credit, when I first actually reached out to the bank, was $25,000. Um, mm-hmm. But it's off a of borrowing basis, and then they would charge you interest from that standpoint. Then it went from 25000 to 50000 Then it went to 100 Then, you know, so on and so forth. And now we have a, a very healthy, um, you know, line of credit that I can borrow from. And um, at this standpoint, I have zero debt that's on the books. I'm ultra conservative within everything that I do inside the company. Follow so your numbers. You just allow so. yourself to really be leveraged, though, when you do that, right? And really, yeah, follow your numbers. Know what's coming in and coming out, right? Exactly. Still look at the bank statements. Still be the one that, you know, there's a certain level where you let go of that. But, at, you know, for most of the time, I've heard some really large companies of individuals that they still do it, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, I sign all my checks still to this day. Um, and I have a deposit-only check that's inside. I mean, Follow the numbers inside your company because that is the most valuable, you know, that's that's your living, breathing piece of your company. If one number gets off and it's a zero and it's a big zero going in whatever direction, <laughs> it can uh, affect you tremendously. So, <laughs> Totally. Well, hey, we're, we're just about up in time, man. Your story is so intriguing and so inspiring. Yeah. Um, and I love just the... the, the the grind with the strategy though, right? Work hard and work smart. So I want, I want to leave you with one last question. I think that when I think about sure. the art of success, I think about, uh, I love what you said, like sales is, it's not, you know, business is art actually. Uh, sure. it's just whether or not you perceive it that way, right? Which allows you to realize that, you know, let the inner artist out and, and not starving that part of you. Um, but I want to understand, just give us your thoughts on one of the most important business philosophies that you've kind of lived by, that other people can live by. Challenge everyone, and then we can uh, wrap up the show here. Sure. Um, it's an interesting question, but probably one of the things that I live by, my motto within my company is clean, easy, simple. Um, I used to always say, uh, you know, I really want to clean this up. I want to clean this up. Let's make this easier for the customer. Let's make it easy. And nope, it's too difficult. Let's make it simple or, you know, more simpler or whatever the case is. So one of my staff one day and came in and she's like, Dan, why don't we say your motto is clean, easy, simple. I'm like, that's genius. So, um, to, to, to go back to your question, uh, one of the quotes, I don't have it pulled up, but it's from Richard Branson is it's easy to make something complicated, but it's difficult to make something simple. So if you think about that and you actually marinate on it, I I can probably pull up the exact quote, but it's something along those lines. Oh, it's killer, man! It's super super clean, though, right? It's like it's very true too. It takes so, a lot of work to make something simple. 
here it is. Um, complexity is your enemy. Any fool can make something complicated. It's hard to keep things simple. So if you think about the greatest companies in the world, one of the ones that just rolled out their phone, iPhone, probably one of the most complicated technical feats that are behind this, you know, scene. But they make but, it look so simple. They make it like super, super simple. Like anyone can yeah. do it. Yep. So that is, uh, that is one of my favorite quotes that's inside. And I think people love simplicity and whatever product that it is that you have. So try to, uh, try to make your customer, whatever it is that you do, service, industry, or um, product that you have, make it as simple and easy to use for your end user, whoever your customer is. Awesome, man. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate your time. And if you're listening in right now, uh, if you enjoyed the show, why don't you share it with a friend or family member, put it out there on social media, uh, send me some feedback on what you're enjoying. Uh, if you have any questions that you want me to ask our guests, send that over to me as well. And we'll see you on the next Art of Success podcast. I hope you're more successful in life because of this episode from The Art of Success. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe for the future updates on other episodes released. Also, if you've enjoyed what you heard today, share The Art of Success with a friend, colleague, or family member. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.